I'm Julian Brand and you're listening to Scouted Chats. Uh, it's one of the highlights in the sporting year. It's back after what feels like several years away and we've been looking forward to it all year. That's right, Scouted says it's back at long last for a few World Cup special podcasts, starting with the first of a two-part preview of the tournament. So if you've been looking for the World Cup podcast and you're jaded of talk about players older than the age of 24, well then you're in the right place. So... We're going to get going just in a second, but in the first part, I just want to give you a little rundown. We're going to talk about groups A to D and all of the young players that are exciting us in there um, and what we think might happen, what sort of tournaments they might have. Obviously, then in the second part, we'll go through from groups E to H. So without further ado, let's get going. Um, I'm Connor Garrett, um, at Connor Garrett on Twitter. Um, joining me is uh, Jack, um, Jack Grimsey. Uh, do you mind introducing yourself, Jack? Yeah, guys, how's it going? Happy to be back. Um, obviously, we're sorry about the lack of recent podcasts, but our star, intro star, Julian Brandt, of course, he's at the World Cup. So that's really what we're psyched about. You're saying that there was sort of a reason behind him going to the World Cup that wasn't obvious at first at first glance there, Jack? Yeah, I, I think so. I think it's it's pretty apparent, probably just to, to our avid listeners who must be thrilled that we're finally back. Yeah, I mean, I guess Leroy Sané shouldn't have absolutely flat out refused to do an intro for us um i mean i, n- I never anyway. asked, but. <laughs> um also here today we've got um david who's at their copite on twitter um david do you mind introducing yourself um yeah so my at is their copite and i'm not too sure if people will be disappointed to find out that i'm not german um, but i do look a bit like julian brandt so yeah that's me <laughs> fair enough you, you've appeared on the the podcast before from from what i can remember um but in the the first uh sort of season of it uh so welcome welcome back uh, no glad to be back <laughs> why um and last but not least uh we also have joe at dot joe donahue on twitter uh joe uh if you could introduce yourself, if you uh, if you could introduce yourself as well yeah no problem uh i'm joe and uh, i'm at joe donahue on twitter and i'm actually making my debut on scouted says so excited to uh, get going with a bit of a world cup special perfect so let's get going um and where better place to start than group a i mean I mean, there might have been better places to start because some <laughs> of the groups might be a bit more interesting. Um, but, you know, it is sort of, in terms of the alphabet, the one that comes first. So let's get going. Um, the opening game is going to be between Russia and Saudi Arabia. So, um, Jack, um, shall we, do you want, should we go through the players of Russia or Saudi Arabia first? Let's, let's go for Russia since it is the host nation. And you know, like you were saying, maybe not the best place to start. But there are some really talented young players in Group A. Most of them happen to play for Uruguay. But I think the Miranchuk twins of Russia, obviously Alexei and Anton. Uh, Alexei, who both you and Steve pointed out to me the other day, is 10 minutes older. But both of them play for Lokomotiv of Moscow. And I think if there's going to be a, a feel-good story for Russia in the World Cup, it could be these twins because they... I mean, they're, they're not flashy. They like to take the subway instead of driving fancy cars. And, you know, I, I haven't really watched them play a ton. I don't know a lot about the youth in Russia, but I think uh, these guys could have a good tournament. Yeah, I mean, so just to break it down, Russia will have three under-23s going to the, the World Cup. So, like you mentioned there, Jack Anton and Alexei Moranchuk. Um, Anton's a centre midfielder and uh, Alexei is sort of more of an attacking player, sort of striker, attacking midfielder, uh, both of them 22. Um, and then we've also got Alexander Golovin um, from CSKA Moscow, um, who's also a centre mid, um, who um, has been described in some quarters as like the standouts 
star of the squad. Have any of you seen him play uh, a little bit? I know he's at Euro 2016. Um, I mean, I saw Gullivan play uh, against Arsenal uh, this season. Um, he's, he's at uh, CSKA, Moscow. And yeah, I, you know, CSKA weren't exactly the best team uh, that Arsenal came up against this year. But I mean, Gullivan kind of definitely stood out of, as as you know, their star player. And I mean, for, for someone who's only, I think he's only 22. I mean, you know, it's, he's, he's got a bright future ahead of him. And I think a good World Cup, even if uh, Russia, Russia don't manage to get out of the group, which I, I think they should, um, uh, I think a good World Cup for Golovin could uh, could definitely see him getting, getting a move to one of the, the, the top European leagues. Yeah, and CSK, they did have some moments against Arsenal when they, some, some good moments of play. And Fedor Shalov, who's also under 23, I was kind of hoping that he would make this World Cup squad, but I think it came a little bit too soon for him. But yeah, like you said, I think people under are underestimating Russia right now. Their FIFA rankings so low, but they didn't play qualification matches, which are weighted higher, you know. So I think you can never count out the host nation. Uh, I mean, apart from, the, you know, those three uh, players for Russia, I think, I think you know, they've got quite an experienced squad, but it'll be exciting to see how how the, the Miranchuk twins and uh, Golovin kind of play, if, if they're all uh, used in, in the same system, in the same team, or whether they kind of share playing time with them being quite similar uh, positionally. Yeah, no, absolutely. So the opposition in the first game um, is going to be Saudi Arabia, um, which um, I don't know if this is true, but it could well be sort of the opening game of the World Cup that has the two lowest ranked teams ever. It probably is considering... Yeah, the the other sort of one might have been sort of South Africa, Mexico in twenty ten, which I think Mexico are a little bit better than these two. Um, yeah, this is this is sixty six versus sixty seven. So yeah, I think Mexico was certainly probably in the top twenty five last World Cup. Yeah, or in twenty ten. Sorry, anyway, last World Cup. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, so Saudi Arabia do also have three more uh, twenty, uh, three more under twenty-three players um, in their squad, um, and they're all representing Saudi Arabian teams at the moment. Well, yeah, no, all all of their players do, except the three that were that were in the Liga. Yeah, so um, I mean, one of the under twenty-threes um, was Fahad Almuwalad, who um, was on loan at. Um, Levante in La Liga. Um, he he has now gone back, so um, he is listed for the for the sort of in purposes of FIFA as an Alitehad player. Um, but he's sort of described as sort of one of their best players, as far as I've seen. Um, sort of playing from the wings, but he may even become a striker sort of for the World Cup. Um, he has supposedly been described as like Saudi Arabia's Messi. Uh, so fingers crossed, he can he can light up the group stage. And the other two players um, would be a centre midfielder from Al Shabab called Abdullah Al Kabari, um, and also another midfielder from Al Hilal called Mohamed Kano. So, um, how much about these guys do we know? I mean, it seems um, like I you know, know how to pronounce their names. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I do. I, mean, I think that was a bit a bit wing. No, I, but, yeah. it. <laughs> I don't know a lot, um, but all I'm aware of Saudi Arabia is that their players don't have a lot of match fitness at the moment. Hence why a lot of the players got sent up to La Liga. It was a bit of a I think it was a bit of a deal between Saudi Arabia and La Liga to try and get some marketing over in Saudi Arabia because, you know, football's ethically lovely and whatnot. Um and the players that got loaned to La Liga, I think they had a grand total of nineteen minutes. Um, so I don't think um, Saudi Arabia, especially the young players, are going to be um, lighting up the World Cup. <laughs> I don't know. I've I played with them once in FIFA, and they're a very fast team, at least in the game. So 
you know. Well, there we have well, it. I mean, so Russia, Russia's center backs are kind of old, so maybe they'll just rely on them. Yeah, it's a little old. Yeah, both the Brzezinski twins going as well. Or I think one came out of international retirement. So I think that's the 38-year-old. Uh, I'm not too sure. I know, I know they got a couple of injuries towards the back end of the season, so um, they're kind of running on on empty at centre back. So they have to bring a 38 year old centre back out of retirement. So between Golovin and the other twins, um, I think they're just bringing the average age down to about 32. To be honest. <laughs> Well, another of the uh, sort of teams in Group A uh, would be Egypt, um, or as I'm sure some people are calling them, Mo Salah plus 22, which may be a bit harsh on a few of the players. Um, but they do have a few interesting um, younger players as well. We, one we were talking about before the before the podcast, Jack, um, who we couldn't really remember sort of what his exact career um, run and sort of the way that he had done his career was. Um would you be able to enlighten us? Yeah, and it's a name that'll be familiar for a lot of football fans, but maybe not this player specifically. It's Trezeguet of Egypt. And uh, yeah, as you mentioned to me, we were looking it up. He was at Al Ali in Cairo, obviously the, the most famous Egyptian club, but then went to Anderlecht on loan in 2015. And Anderlecht purchased him in full the next year, but directly sent him out on loan to Muscaron, he came back. They sent him out to Kasim Pasa. That's where the confusion ensued because we thought he was a Kasim Pasa player who was on loan at Anderlecht, but he's actually on loan at Anderlecht from Kasim Pasa, and the transfer is going through in on July first. So he played his football in Turkey last year, uh, scored thirteen goals in the league and added three in the cup. So overall in the season, sixteen goals and, and eight assists. That's pretty good, I would say. For, I mean especially a team that might not have known they own this player. So he'll be there next year and <laughs> hopefully he'll be doing well for Egypt at this World Cup because he has a fantastic name. Yeah, I wonder what the I wonder what the inspiration behind uh, being called, you know, or being known as Trezeguet is. Because I mean... I saw something. It was like a little bit because of his looks and then also because of his uh, his dribbling, I think. Oh, well, fair enough. I mean, you could, uh, you could definitely have a worse comparison. So, you know. I think it's predominantly because the Egyptian players aren't known by the surname, so they normally have um, they normally have nicknames like Mido and whatnot. So I think he's just lucky enough to get Trezeguet. <laughs> I'm just thinking, like, are there some sort of like lower league players in in Egypt called like Windass because of their? <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? We'll find out. <laughs> but yeah, um, so Trezeguet is uh, 23, and like we said, um, he plays for Kassim Passa, he's going to be signing there permanently in the summer, um, and he's a winger. Um, another winger that um, fans of the Premier League may be aware of would be Ramadan Sobi, um, who plays for Stoke City. Hasn't really settled in there, but he may still be familiar as a name. Um, and the other final players under 23 is a centre-back um, at home in the Native League um, with Zamalek. Um, that's Mahmoud Hamdi. So, um, Joe or, or David, do you have any sort of impressions on any of them? Um, I've seen Ramadan Sobi a few times. He didn't quite impress. Um, I think he's getting linked with a move to Huddersfield nowadays, um, which, you know, I think David Wagner's taken a couple of comparisons a bit too far to be signed on another Egyptian winger as well. <laughs> um, but he hardly left the Premier League. But, but from the bits I've seen of him in Egypt, he looked a decent player, but maybe it's just an adaption thing and if he's not really adapting to the Premier League maybe 
another step up to the World Cup maybe a bit too far, but it's a more familiar surroundings for him, so maybe gives him a bit more of a platform to thrive outside of Mark Hughes, Paul Lambert and the just the, the Stoke atmosphere from last season. Yeah, I don't, I don't get the impression that Stoke, um, or and particularly those managers that you've just named there, David, are the most conducive managers to <laughs> um, uh, Sobby's style of play, so to speak. So, I mean, I kind of got the impression that he was quite like quite a direct winger, um, like likes to dribble and likes to get at players. Um, and you know, when you're in a team like Stoke, obviously the whole preconception about Tony Pula's teams uh, in the past and what Stoke kind of stood for isn't as true now but yeah you're not going to get the amount of opportunities and the amount of chances um, that you would get in a, in a top side so I mean who knows he, you know he might do well in, in this group because I'd say that you know the teams are quite around the same sort of level as um, as Egypt and if he does get a start in one of the game, one or two of the games, then yeah, you, you know that might be an indicator of what he can do. You know, he might show what he can do, but yeah, he, he, like David said, he hasn't really impressed in the Premier League. But that could be an adaptation thing. Yeah, exactly. And the world, the World Cup's always far more open than club football because you just don't have the time to train and drill those systems as deeply, and defenses just aren't as organized. And like you said, the level of the group may may suit Egypt. Well, I mean, there we have it. I mean. We didn't know if we'd be able to get much talk out of Group A, and we've not even got onto the team that we're all sort of raring to talk about. Um, so hey, I, j- I just have yeah. a, I don't have two more things to say about Egypt. Um, yeah. <laughs> their goalkeeper, their goalkeeper, Assam Al Hadari, who's going to be the oldest player at the World Cup. He's forty-five. Uh, he's almost even if you cut his age in half, he would almost be too old to be talked about. <laughs> Um, I think the average age of this group is a bit a bit high to be discussing on an under twenty three podcast. To be honest, you've got a thirty year old, eight year old centre back, and a forty five year old goalkeeper in two teams. <laughs> yeah, but now we can, as Connor said, we can move on to Uruguay, who have a pretty pretty good core of young talent. Yeah, and I know that um, that when we were discussing this earlier, um, Joe had sort of a lot of points about some of the players. So um, I'll briefly run you through who's in the squad and then I'm sure he'll be able to pick up and tell you all about them. So um, first of all, the youngest player in the squad um, will be Rodrigo Bentancur, who we've spoken about in the podcast before. He's a midfielder for Juventus um, and has played in every Uruguay game since moving to Juventus last year. Um, then we've got Maxi Gomez, who's a striker at Celta Vigo. Um, then Lucas Torreira, um, who we might all know from uh, being sort of fantastic at Sampdoria. Um, he's another midfielder. Um, then there's Nahitan Nandes um, at Boca Juniors um, as another midfielder. Um, and finally, um, at 23 at the upper end of our scale is um, Jose, Rumia, uh, Jose Maria Jimenez, um, who is from Atletico Madrid. Uh, so, Joe, uh, I know you're the expert on this one, so... Who's the one to look out for? Uh, well, I mean, yeah, I wouldn't quite call myself the expert, but, you know, um, <laughs> anyway, we'll get going. Uh, I mean, I like the look of Maxi Gomez. He's had an excellent season in La Liga with uh, Celta Vigo. Um, and there was actually quite a, a lot of talk um, earlier in the season that he was going to move to China, which obviously would have you know been big money for him. But that move either f- collapsed or kind of may have turned his back on it. Um, and and that, that's a good thing because he's, he's only 21 and he got 17 goals in his debut La Liga season, which is, you know, it's, it's, that's a tremendous effort for any for any striker. Um, he's, he's quite physical. He's great in the air. 
And I think he offers Uruguay something different to your typical Suarez and Cavani duel, in in a sense that if you're in, if, you know, if if Uruguay, particularly in the in the latter stages of, of the tournament, if you're late on in the game, you know, you've got Maxi Gomez on the bench, you can you can bring him on. You can really go for a really abrasive approach. It might not be the most beautiful style of play. But it's definitely something that you can you can utilize, and it, it, it's good variety. It's uh, that, you, that you've got in your squad there. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, that sort of um, rough and tumble approach has been one that has been um, associated with Oscar Tabarez as Uruguay over the years. Um, but they have sort of brought on their style of play a little bit in the last few years, and are a little bit more sort of, I guess, artistic in midfield. Um, Bentancourt, I think, especially is sort of a really really interesting player to watch. Um, Bentancourt, well, for Uruguay especially, I believe he's been playing most of his time out wide, where he is a predominantly central player. Um, in the last friendly against Uzbekistan, um, which I don't know why you're prepared for a World Cup by playing Uzbekistan, but he played centrally um, with Matthias Ficino, um of Inter Milan, um, whilst Nandez played on the right. Um, I believe in the World Cup where they're coming up against better opposition, uh, you'll probably see Benton Core go back out onto the right-hand side and Torreira come back into the centre. Um, but just a special mention quickly for Georgian Di Arascaeta, uh, I hope I haven't butchered that name, um, who's only just turned 24, so I'm just going to throw him in there quite quickly, who offers a bit of a dynamic threat down the left-hand side for them. Um, he scored against um, Uruguay, um, and I think, against Uruguay, sorry, <laughs> against Uzbekistan uh, for Uruguay. Um, and just up, away from that Suarez-Cavani kind of rigid 4-4-2. Um, he offers a bit of a dynamic option down the left and a bit more pace and trickery for them, as well as Benton Kerr. Um, and, yeah, no, that sounds very interesting. Um, it looks like from their friendlies as well that they have been uh, sort of pretty difficult to beat. So um, what do we think about their prospects in Group A this uh, this uh, in this tournament? I think, well, you know, they're a relatively young team. I, th- I believe they've got the most under-23 players in this group. Yeah. Um, so when they're coming up against Asian teams, especially like Russia and whatnot, um, they've got Huge issues themselves with the likes of Godin, Cavani, Suarez, who are obviously still top players, but they're kind of getting towards their expiry date. But I think with the added legs of the likes of Torreira and Nandez, um, and the added impetus of Bentancourt and De Arasqueta, as I said, um, I think they'll be. I think they're quite comfortably favourites for this group, to be honest. Yeah, they should definitely be favourites for this group. You, I mean, you, as soon as you look at the, the, the teams that, that are in there, you immediately, your eyes are drawn to Uruguay. You think, OK, okay, they're the ones who are going to go through as group winners, um, or you'd at least assume so if, if, if their players are on song. I mean, even if they're not on song, they, they've got a hell of a lot of talent in, in that squad. Um, and, you know... They've showed that they've showed their hands at previous tournaments. They actually they know how to they know how to see out games, as you said, Connor, with uh, Tabarez's uh, style with Uruguay. And they know how to win tournament in uh, in tournament football. So yeah, I think they've got a, v- a very very strong chance of getting through Group A, pretty much unscathed. Uh, I mean, you could probably argue argue that this is a better Uruguay team than the Uruguay teams of World Cups gone by and the Uruguay team that won the Copa America. I mean, they've got a lot more in the midfield with Benson, Corvicino, um, Nandez and whatnot. So, 
as long as well, I mean, they haven't got Cavani and Suarez in the prime, um, but you know, they got Jimenez and Godin as well as Muslera, which is a solid kind of um, spine to the team. Um, so I'm, I, you could probably tip Uruguay to go quite far in the tournament. I think the only thing that's going to drag them down a bit is they've got a bit of a lack of profiles up front. Um, Suarez isn't the player he used to be, and Cavani's kind of more of a poacher type of player. I think they really could do with a um, a Diego Forlan, but maybe Maxi with his um, with his physicality can kind of impose himself and maybe get his name on the team sheet in the tournament. Oh, I was going to say, I think just with Maxi Gomez being able to provide something off the bench for an older Suarez and Cavani, and I mean, Suarez is going to do everything to win. But yeah, like you said, it's, it's a tournament and there's a lot of minutes to be played. So if those three can kind of rotate through those two spots, I think they'll be okay. I mean, if you look at what Suarez has done in the past two tournaments, he might get more game time than we're expecting because, you know, he bit someone and he handballed on the line. So, Maxi um, could, be, could, be um, could be in for some game time, potentially. I mean, how do we see that trilogy being completed for, for Suarez World Cups? Is there going to be something absolutely nuclear going down? I mean, short of, like, fighting the referee, I don't know how you'd have that. <laughs> You can't rule it out, <laughs> but uh, Jack, I knew that I know that there is a, a specific youngster in this Uruguay team that you have as your pick for a youngster to watch. Uh, who is it, and why should we? Yeah, I think Lucas him? Torreira is the Sampdoria player who Matt Santangelo profiled in the most recent scouted handbook, and he talked about him a lot on a previous episode. But he's just a really tidy player, and it's not just because of his diminutive size, but he just bosses it in the midfield. And I think there's someone who makes Uruguay tick. It's it's going to be him, even though he, uh, I think his first cap is going to be at the World Cup, right? Or his first in in a tournament cap, I guess, because I don't think he was playing in qualifying. Yeah, I think it would be his first competitive games for for Uruguay. Uh, I think he might have played a few friendlies um, recently, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he played against Uzbekistan. Yeah, I guess he has, uh, he has three caps, I guess, total. But um, he's just really starting to the first yeah 22 minutes against the Czechs in March and then 20 minutes against Wales and half an hour against Uzbekistan so it's going to be his first real action but I think he has a lot of potential and his his profiles really could raise over this World Cup but I guess if you're wondering why I love him it's because he was at Pescara (laughs) (laughs) well I mean that's just over 20 minutes of talk about Group A when we were worried we wouldn't get anywhere Um, so pretty well done lads uh, let's move on to group b so um i don't really know where to start with this one because i um, mean these are four really interesting teams uh obviously we've got sort of spain portugal uh, morocco and iran um there do seem to sort of seem to be sort of two teams that you might favor um above the others but morocco a very very interesting team um and so iran as well so i mean a lot could happen um shall we start with iran um, and uh, quickly run through their players. Good luck. Um, so, yeah, uh, might as well get out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, the youngest player in this squad is going to be uh, Saeed Ezatalahi, um, who's a midfielder from Rostov. Um, so, you know, probably will be used to the, the Russian conditions. Uh, then there is uh, Majid Hassani, um, who is playing at a club's name I'm not even going to pronounce, but play <laughs> in the Iranian Iranian League. Um, then there is Mehdi Tarabi, um, who's at Cyper, also in the Iranian League. Uh, he's a winger. Um, then Sada Azmoun, who we've spoken about at length on this podcast actually before, um, who's now at Rubin Kazan. 
Um, and so those are all of the under-23s in the squad. Um, I know that there is also a special mention um, that one of you have added in uh, for Alareza Johan Baksh. Um, Hold on. Who, is that correct? Is that? I, I think so. I think so. Um, I, I, I've listened to quite a few World Cup podcasts and every single person has butchered his name. <laughs> <laughs> so are, are there any thoughts about this group of players, guys? Yeah, just just Esmoon, who uh, RFN David, a, a scouted contributor, has given us a wealth of information on him in the past, most of it, which obviously I don't recall at the moment. But he's a big, tall striker, um, very physical guy. And David was saying last summer he thought maybe uh, he would be leaving Russia, but he stayed, went from Rostov to Kazan, and he had helped Rostov gain Champions League qualification there before, but... Um, it's it's interesting to see because he was kind of dubbed Iran's savior striker, but um, I don't think he was having his best season coming into the World Cup. But I'm the one who, I guess you could say, infamously put Ali Reza Jahan Bakash into the rundown here. He was there to visit top scorer for uh, Azad Alkmar with 21 goals, 12 assists, and he is 24, turning 25 in August. So he's he's a bit ancient for us to talk about. But I don't know if they, they could surprise up top. I think I don't know. I if it's impossible to think Spain and Portugal will lose, but it's the World Cup, so it could happen. Yeah, I mean, Sada Asmoon was linked with Liverpool last season, so I, I, I watched a bit of him because he was linked on and off with us. He was linked quite a few times. Um, what we were talking about in Cavani in, in the last group, um, that kind of predatorial instinct in the box, I think he, he brings that to the table. Uh, he brings quite a bit of physicality as well. Um, granted, that was from his Rostov days. I haven't watched a lot of his, his Ruben Kazan um, stuff. I, I can see that he's obviously gone through a goal drought last season. Um, but based off what I saw of him at Rostov, um, he looks like he could really bring things together for Iran. Um, I know Iran are quite highly rated, um, given the context. Um, and well, the Debbie Pin and all the hopes on Asmoon, obviously he'll be used to the climate and whatnot of Russia. Um, and I'm sure there'll be a lot of eyes on him. And I'm sure Iran will be hoping he can perform. Yeah, I mean, speaking of physicality, they've got in the middle as well. They've got uh, Saeed Ezatalahi, who uh, he's I think he's owned by Rostov, but he spent this season on loan at Amkar Perm, uh, in again in the Russian Premier League. So he again he'll be another one who's used to sort of the conditions of Russia and you know and and, and playing with again well I mean against you know top top players, um, but yeah, he, he's he's quite strong. He's quite physical. He's a central midfielder, and obviously not making. Uh, any sort of compar- direct comparisons because at the end of the day he isn't at the same level but he, d- he does remind me a little bit of Sergio Busquets um, he's, he reads the play very well um, he's strong he's he's, a, he's six foot three he, he's, a, he's a physical player and he's, he's quite a unit to, to, to get around and he is he's obviously more of a defensive um, defensive minded midfielder um, but crucially for Iran uh, he'll be missing for the opener against Morocco which you'd say is probably you know, one of their well, their only winnable game in Group B when you consider that the other two games are against Portugal and Spain, um, because he he has a bit of a he has a bit of an edge to him, um, because apparently he stamped on an opponent during uh, during a qualifier with South Korea and was suspended for two games, with, and one of those games runs over into the World Cup, so that could be crucial in uh, in terms of Iran's chances if they were going to cause an upset. 
and qualify from Group B. In terms of narrative as well, it'll be interesting seeing Iran's uh, coach, Carlos Quiroz, going up against um, Portugal, who, if I'm not mistaken, he led to the 2010 World Cup. Um, not really any four points to develop on that, but you know, um, I think he's leaving Iran at the end of the tournament, so he'll obviously be wanting to go out in style. That's all right. Should we move on to Morocco? <laughs> uh, yeah, we can do, yeah. I think, I don't know, Morocco, it's like... When I think of them, it's always a, a team that has a lot of tricky dribblers, and I don't. I'm not totally yeah. sure about all of their young guys, but I know. I mean, Hadid is fantastic at for Schalke. He was the Bundesliga Rookie of the Year, and he's really. And Jake is a great resource to talk about Hadid with. Um, he's a really good dribbler and talented passer, and a big reason why Schalke took second in Germany last year. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a massive fan of Amin Harrit. The way he can just, he can turn his man with ease. Um, I was kind of loving. I was just going through a highlight reel of him earlier, actually. I was just having fond memories of Philippe Coutinho turning on people and then Philippe Coutinho scored for Brazil and they got a bit emotional. And Amin Harrit. <laughs> they, are, they are kind of similar players. I think he was one of the most fouled players in the Bundesliga last season as well. Um, which kind of shows that you know he he's quite flighty. He knows um, he knows how to how to play defenders, and that could that that could come in handy, especially for for Morocco when you think about how many where Morocco's goals are going to come from, where the opportunities. So, for example, you know in, in the final third, if he if he's going to nip away from a defender or his marker, you know getting set pieces um, or getting in, getting into dangerous positions, or even just winning free kicks to to relieve a bit of pressure. That that could that could be really useful, and uh, I think it might be something that might be overlooked. It opens up a bag load of space. So it also does. It, it opens up all kinds of space for their attackers because they have got good attackers, um, and and them dribbling, drawing, and defenders will just open up all kinds of space for the likes of Zayek um, to be able to work in. Um, you know, obviously, um, they've got a notoriously good defence as well. So, you know. In transition, using Harry's maybe more than um, direct passing, they could go the route of direct dribbling um, and open up the defences that way. I mean, I think that they're a bit of a dark horse in that regard because they've got a really solid defence and they've got some really good transitional players and players like Zayek that can make the difference in the final yeah, third. Hakim Ziyech, he shoots from just so far away. He's always shooting from outside. <laughs> Good instincts just get on the end of those rebounds if the, if the goalie saves it or parries it back into play. Could be some opportunities. Okay. Um, yeah, so um, Harry, obviously, yeah, no, he was fantastic in the Bundesliga this season. Uh, one of the most interesting players in the league to watch, I think, um, at least from my perspective. Um, he is one of seven under-23s in the Morocco team. So there is a lot of youth there um, that hopefully will sort of excite and maybe even take them on to better things um, sort of in the next few years as well. Um, so the youngest player um, is Ashraf Hakimi, who um, you may have seen at Real Madrid. Um, he filled in a lot for Danny Carvajal this season while Carvajal was out injured. Um, so around 1,315 uh, minutes. Um, so that's quite a lot of experience uh, for the youngster. And then uh, we've got Hamza Mendil, who's at Lille as a left-back. Um, Yusuf El Nesri, um, who was a striker at Malaga this season. Um, Sofian Amrabat, um, who is a centre midfielder at Feyenoord, uh, also a centre midfielder, but can um, or Ken uh, is Yusuf Ibenessa, um, and finally uh, there's a goalkeeper from uh, Tangier, um, sort of in the native Moroccan league, um, Ahmad Tagnauti. 
And that is about it. Um, are there any other players outside of Harit who, who interest you there? Uh, Yusuf Ainezri is, is one that kind of caught my eye. Um, there's a surprised amount of Malaga shown on, on Sky Sports. I, I don't know whether it's because they're the league's whipping boys and they just kind of throw them on a lot. Um, but he was the one who stood out in a really, really poor Malaga side for me um, whenever I did watch them. Um, and he scored in their last game against Estonia, um, which they dominated. He came off the bench and scored. So potentially um, he could have got his name in the starting eleven, hopefully ahead of El Carby, who started that game. He was just over our threshold. He's 24. But hopefully Ainesri can kind of get his move away from that shock and Malaga side. Yeah, I mean the focus of um the focus of my my Morocco knowledge is mainly on, on Hakim Ziyech, um mainly through watching him for Ajax over the past few seasons. Um but obviously he is he's twenty five now so he is quite literally ancient to us uh at Scouted. But yeah I think they they definitely can take a lot from from him, especially the young players in terms of in an attacking sense and as you said I can't remember who said it before but you know he does quite literally shoot from anywhere so if I think Jack you said that you know the impression that you get from Morocco's uh, um, team is that they're full of quite quick young attackers and if, if you can pounce on if you can pounce on anything it's a world cup at the end of the day anything can happen and underdogs do tend to surprise so you know, if if Spain and Portugal aren't on their game, and you've kind of got you've got like seven under twenty three players, so at Morocco, so that's quite a, a young crop of players. You know, if then if the if the big boys aren't on their game, they Morocco could genuinely cause a surprise. Yeah, and I don't know. I think against teams like Portugal, who, judging by the way Portugal have played in recent years, they're going to sit back and try to win one 0 probably. So if you score the first goal against Portugal, anything's going to be possible. Okay. Um, shall we move on to Portugal then in that case? Um, they have um, also got quite a few under-23s in their squad. I think six in total, if I um, was able to count correctly. Um, and um, some of them may even be sort of some of the poster boys among the young uh, the young players at the World Cup um, that we will have. I mean, obviously, they'll be competing with, competing with Cristiano Ronaldo for starting places um, in the attacking roles. But, you know, some of them are going to get game time and I think we may be sort of pleasantly surprised by them. Um, shall we look through the list of the squad and um, have a look at some of the key players there? Um, so the the youngest player is going to be Gonzalo Gades, uh, who's obviously off, coming off the back of a fantastic season of Valencia on loan from PSG. Um, then there's Ruben Diaz, uh, who plays for Benfica um, as a centre-back. Um, there's Andre Silva, um, who um, didn't have the best of seasons at Milan, but did score quite a lot in the Europa Yeah, exactly, tournament player. Um, and then... <laughs> exactly. Um, then there's Bernardo Silva. Um, I don't think they're related, uh, who's obviously at Manchester City. Uh, then Jelson Martins um, and Bruno Fernandes, who are both at Sporting. Um I mean, who who sort of jump, who jumps out at you there, guys? Yeah, it's got to be Gedge. Gonzalo Gedge, he was like brought in by PSG and then the next summer they go out and they get Neymar. So it's like, okay, going to Valencia, but he was so instrumental for them this season. And like you said, or like Joe said, I guess I, I can't really steal his notes, but I think he's definitely Portugal's most exciting prospect at this World Cup. Yeah, I mean, for, for Valencia this season, he has been sort of a revelation which you know he could have done at PSG but as you say when you sign Neymar the following week 
you're not really going to get a look in as a 20, 20 year old, 21 year old. Um, yeah, he's, he's played he's played a few minutes in the in the warm up games for for Portugal. He played ninety against Belgium, um, which they drew nil nil. Which kind of shows that he's got, he's got that endurance to to play at at such a high level. But obviously, the intensity will pick up once again at the World Cup. Actually, at the actual tournament. Sorry. Um, yeah, I, I really want to see a lot of him at the World Cup. I, I think he's got a great deal to offer. He's he's quick. He's he's agile. He's, he's direct, which I love about a winger. Um, and if Fernando Santos is going to employ sort of a a, a four three three, but not in that attack extremely attacking sense, he definitely will be a threat on on, on counter attacks. Um, I can't remember which which team that was against this season in La Liga, but there was one goal where he he, he was from he was on the edge of the box and from like a, a standing position just rifled one into the top of the net, and it was just so powerful. And I thought, you know, that is that is the sign of a a really good but also a really confident player. So hopefully we'll see the best of him. I think I think the player that I'm interested to see, um, aside from from Gonzalo, um, in in this Portuguese team, uh, actually is Andre Silva, who we mentioned before. Um, didn't have the best of seasons at Milan, but yeah, like Jack said, did manage to do it in sort of an international tournament, well, a, a continental tournament at least. Anyway, um, he has scored some important goals at points for Milan uh, this season as well. Um, so I'd be interested to sort of see. If he does slot in for Portugal, I know he seems like uh, Cristiano Ronaldo seems to be quite a big fan of him. So there are rumours that he might leave, that he might go. I think maybe even to Wolves. I've heard, um, which I mean, I say that as a surprise, but he's Portuguese and young, so makes perfect sense. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think he will be an interesting one to keep tabs on um, as the tournament goes on. If Portugal do manage to progress, um, and the other one is um, Bernardo Silva, who was. Um, Pretty good for Manchester City in his um, in his opening season. I think when I was speaking to Stephen a few weeks ago, I noticed that he played a lot more than I thought I had than I thought he had. Um, in the Premier League this season, um, and uh, yeah, sort of really, um, yeah, sort of seemed to fit quite seamlessly into that City attack. So uh, you'd imagine that uh, he would be sort of quite important. It, it does seem that a lot of these younger players are all sort of attacking with uh, uh, Martins and Fernandes both being um, attacking players as well. Um, and there are only so many slots. I don't think we'll be able to see um, all of them um, for significant amounts of time, but um, hopefully um, we'll be able to see sort of the best uh, sort of rising to the top and uh, hopefully impressing in Group B. Um, are there any more thoughts on Portugal, guys? Yeah, just one quick one. Um, if you're just looking at the, the last um, the last friendly against Algeria, um, they won three 0 It was all three scouted players that got on the score sheet, um, and one was assisted by Bernardo Silva. Gonzalo Guedes got two. Um, he seems to have usurped Andre Silva potentially in Santos's plans. He's partner in Ronaldo up front. I believe he played as a lone striker and another friendly as well. Uh, so that's certainly one to keep an eye on. Um, as well as Bernardo Silva and Bruno Fernandes seem to be played as wide players. Um, so that, it looks like they're just trying to pack that midfield with work on like players and try and get the best out of the individuals like Guedes, obviously Cristiano Ronaldo, um, Bruno Fernandes and Bernardo Silva to try and counteract it. So it looked like a very interesting 4 2 2 2 potentially going into the tournament from Portugal. Um, but hopefully, 
Obviously, Andre Silva's got a very good record at international level, so potentially he might usurp Guedes again, and potentially it could be... Either way, it's going to be a bit of a scout face-off between Guedes or Fernandes or Silva or Guedes for whoever gets into that team, but it looks like that attacking talent... Um, is certainly paying off for them. Just a quick one, actually. Um, Ruben Diaz, he's kind of flown under the radar here a little bit, but he's he's kind of enjoyed a bit of a meteoric rise. Last season, well, this, not the season just gone, but the season before that, so 2016-17, he was still playing for um, Benfica, Benfica's B team in the Portuguese second division. And, you know, this season he's kind of made himself a bit of a mainstay, playing over 2,000 minutes for Benfica. Um, and which was no doubt a successful season for them, um, and also playing uh, in in the Champions League and uh, and in in the league as well. So I think if you know, obviously there's going to be the the usuals of you know Bruno Alves and Pepe who are going to take those centre back spots. But if for example, if if there was an injury there, I think Ruben Diaz would be more than capable of slotting slotting in there. And, and and showing why he's kind of enjoyed such a such a rise in such a short period of time, and obviously Fernando Santos rates him. Otherwise, he wouldn't have we wouldn't have called him up to the senior squad for a World Cup. Perfect. So um, the final team as well then in Group B um, is Spain. Um, obviously, the world champions in 2010. Um, so there is a lot of pedigree, and uh, Julian Lopetegui's team has sort of come on a little bit from sort of some of the disappointing performances of the past sort of couple of tournaments as well. Um, they have four under 23s in their squad, um, who um, are um, Marco Asensio of Real Madrid, um, Alvaro Odri. Audrey Zola um, of Sociedad, uh, Kepa Arizabalaga of Bilbao, um, and then Sal Niguez of Atletico Madrid. Um, probably um, sort of some of the more familiar names there um, will be um, Saul and Asensio, who have been really, really good in the last few years for both of the Madrid teams. Um, what, what are our sort of thoughts on the Spain squad? Do we think that they'll go far this year? I think if they had a U23 squad at the World Cup, they could be in the quarterfinals. They have so so much outstanding talent, not <laughs> too much of it's even on on show this summer. But Odrizola just scored a fantastic goal the other week in a, a friendly. Carvajal was out, and it was from just outside the box, blasted into the bottom corner. But I think really Asensio, if if you want to see some crazy goals, look for him. Always at always in tournaments, I think too, and I guess Saul in the Champions League as well. Yeah, it feels like Saul Niguez has been around for so long, but. He still is just 23, and you know he, he comes across as a player with a lot of pedigree and a lot of experience. But um, obviously, this will be his first first World Cup, which seems a bit crazy. But you know, uh, I think he I think he'll be quite be instrumental to, uh, to to Spain and how they do, because in in years gone by, you've always had like a David Villa or a Fernando Torres, or you or you've had Iniesta or Xavi to to contend with. Uh, and and be your be your linchpin of your team, uh, whereas now I wouldn't say you've got an outright forward like a like like a like a number nine, a target man, so to speak, or or a playmaker. So I think players like Saul and especially Asensio with with his individual flair, they can definitely contribute to to Spain's you know efforts in 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 getting far in the World Cup with with their own individual quality. Um, 
maybe less conventionally than the, t the likes of Xavi Iniesta, Torres Villa, those those kind of household name type uh, Spanish players of the past. In terms of sort of the general performance of the team in the tournament, do we do we see these? Uh, do we see the Spanish team as a potential winner? Yeah, they're my favourite for the tournament. Um, I think the only kind of drawback with the Spanish team is the fact that they don't really have kind of a top striker. Um, you know, as was mentioned earlier, they've had Vieira and Torres in the past, but to be completely honest, I don't think they've necessarily performed either. Um, it's just mainly the kind of death by football attitude they have, whether or not they carry that on. Um, under the new manager, that's not Del Bosque, um, is yet to be seen. Um, but you know, it's it's a ridiculously experienced team to the point that you know you're potentially looking at how talented those four players are, and I highly doubt that any of them, bar Adriazola, is going to get much game time, and that's only due to Carvajal's injury that he got in the final of the Champions League. Um, but overall, I'd say Spain are pretty comfortably my favourites, to be honest. Yeah, I think I would have to agree. Um, so I think that may sort of bring Group B to a close. Um, shall we start with the next one? Um, and um, should be an easy team to get through sort of reasonably quickly because Australia have named a pretty experienced squad um, and there is only one under 23 in there. Um, his name's Daniel Azani and he plays for Melbourne City um, as sort of an attacking midfielder. Um, he did score um, in their friendly versus Hungary on Saturday and also played quite a large role in the winning goal. I think we, on our, on our Twitter timeline, um, at Scouted FTBL, um, have got a, a video of that, uh, that one there that the Socceroos um, posted there. Um, have you guys heard much about him before the before. No, I couldn't. I couldn't really find too much about him. I just know he's the youngest player at the World Cup. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess that's something in itself. Um, apparently, he has is being spoken about in Australia in a similar way to um, Harry Kuehl just before he broke out. So maybe the tournament's going to come a little bit early for him. But if he appears, then. I wouldn't expect him to look completely out of place. Um, he did look pretty good um, in the little bits of that friendly I saw against uh, Hungary. So, um, yeah, maybe we'll see him. Maybe it'll be sort of more of the, it'll be him going along for the ride and gathering experience potentially for um, four I years' mean, it's, time. It's, good. But, um, it's yeah. good that he's at Melbourne City, though, because it could lead to maybe like an Aaron Moy situation. Maybe he ends up in England, maybe not playing for Manchester City, but we might see him sooner than if he was at another Australian club, I guess. Absolutely. Um, the next team in Group C, um, I think, to be honest, Group C may be one of the in most interesting uh, sort of groups because although there's one clear favourite, there are three teams that could very well join them in the um, uh, sort of round of um, 16. Um, they have uh, sort of quite a few um, sort of interesting players, a few of which I've even had the um, chance to profile in Scattered Football Handbook number two. Um, but we'll start with one that you profiled, Jack, um, in the list. Um the youngest player um, of the, the Danish squad, and that is Kasper Dolberg, who um, obviously is an Ajax striker. Um, what did you think about him? Um, what did you say in the profile? Um, what I'd said was that if he has pretty much had a good year this year leading up to the World Cup, he'd be probably one of the breakout stars, but he didn't have a great year this season. And it's kind of for Ajax, it's all gone a little bit wrong after the Europa League final loss to Manchester United. And Dolberg didn't have a fantastic year, but I think he could be, he still could be a breakout star of the World Cup, but he would have been maybe like a household name coming in. He only had six goals in the Dutch league last year, though. 
then um, sort of rounding off the list um, are uh, Andres Christensen, uh, who is obviously at Chelsea. Um, he was fantastic at Gladbach for two years, uh, which was what I profiled him based off. And to be honest, I don't think he's looked out of place at Chelsea this season. Um, he was a starter for a lot of it. And uh, I mean, I know his form was up and down, um, but he may perform better under a bit more stable management. So um, sort of with the Danish national team and then potentially if uh, if Conte does leave Chelsea, he'll, when Conte does leave Chelsea uh, and someone else comes in. Um, another player also profiled, which I, I don't I don't know when I became a Danish football expert, but apparently for Scad Football Handbook 2, I was doing all their players. Uh, we've got Yusuf Paulsen, um, who um, is at uh, Red Bull Leipzig, Rasen uh, Bausch Leipzig, sorry. Um, he does turn 24 on Friday, um, but uh, he is, at the time of uh, speaking, um, 23, and will be at the start of the World Cup. Um, he did join Leipzig when they were in the fourth tier a few years ago and has been a key player for them ever since. So although he's 23, he's actually massively, massively experienced um, and a very physical presence that may be useful, um, particularly maybe against Peru. Um, then we've got Victor Fischer at Copenhagen, um, who was pretty bad at like Middlesbrough and Mainz. Uh, he's back home at Copenhagen now. Um, and then finally, Pioni's sister. I'm sure um, some of you will be interested in talking about he's a winger at Celta Vigo. So who are the names jumping out there for you guys? Uh, for me, Pioni sister is, is one who's quite exciting. Um, he's got quite a quite a, uh, an interesting background, actually, with um, having been born in um, in, in Uganda. Um, so he's, so he's a naturalised uh, Danish, um, Danish player. But yeah, he's he's had a really good season last year uh, with Celta Vigo, and he's he's another winger that I like because of his, his direct style. He's quite he's quite quick, uh, and he got five goals and nine assists, I think it was for them last year. Um, again, he's, he's he's very confident, and I think up up until this season, I think there were always questions over his end product, whether it, whether he would set the world alight by. But by, by by being a winger who could create quite a lot and put put balls into into the box for for a striker, uh, in, interestingly enough, Maxi Gomez. Um, but this season he, he really has delivered. Obviously, that's helped with the link up with uh, with Gomez there. So I think what could be quite interesting is his link up with Denmark in the World Cup with um, Nikolai Jorgensen or Jorgensen, uh, who's obviously the, quite the the the, um, the Feyenoord striker. Uh, I think Sisto could definitely definitely work something out there. Um, he's, yeah, he's he's an exciting player that I'm I'm very looking forward to watch on on the world stage in particular. Having done you know quite well last season in La Liga, which obviously is is a is a task and a challenge in itself. Uh, David, are there any uh, which one of those players are you most interested to have a look at um, in the next few weeks? Um, it's most likely uh, Andreas Christensen to be honest um, it's going to be really interesting to see how he functions outside of a Conte system I mean granted the Conte system weren't um, at the optimum this season however um, he's garnered a lot of massive experience obviously playing against Barcelona in the Champions League and whatnot. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how he copes outside of that system in the four at the back potentially um and maybe just maybe um he can kind of prove himself even further and take himself on to that next level because he did come under quite a lot of scrutiny after that Barcelona game so it could just be a time to redeem himself um and yeah yeah fair enough 
Next on the list to talk about is France, but I think we may as well save them till last uh, so that we can sort of get to the uh, exciting Peru team even quicker. Um, they have six under twenty threes. Um, a, f- a lot of a lot of them playing in um, America, um, Central America, and South America. Um, so we'll start with with the ones that we may not know quite so much about. Um, there's Nilson Loyola, who's a left-back for F- FBC Melga. Um, then Pedro Aquino, um, who is at Lobos in Mexico as a defensive midfielder. Uh, Miguel Araujo um, for Alianza Lima, who's a centre-back. Um, Wilder Cartagena, um, who plays for Tiburones. Uh, Rojas de Veracruz, uh, who's also a defensive midfielder. And then Andy Polo, who may be quite... Uh, sort of well-known among um, sort of football manager fans. He plays for Portland Timbers in the US as a winger. Um, but the one that um, of the four of us seems to be the most knowledge about is Renato Tapia, who plays for Feyenoord. Joe, I know that you um, you had quite a bit to say to, about him. Yeah, I mean, purely by accident, I've, I've watched a fair bit of Renato Tapia um, just through watching some of Feyenoord's games um, because Newcastle were linked with uh, the Danish striker Jorgensen. Um, but yeah, he, he didn't come across as, as, a, as a 22-year-old um, in the way that he plays. I think he's quite composed, um, does have the odd lapse in concentration occasionally, but he's quite, he is impressive. Um, and especially for Peru, I get the impression that he's well-drilled in uh, Gareca's system. Um, and they've got like quite a, a, a tight group there, tight unit. Um, interestingly enough, he's primarily a centre-back for Feyenoord, but for Peru, he definitely plays a lot more further forward. So in obviously in, in a central midfield or a defensive midfield role, um, he's very confident on the ball. He definitely likes to step out of defence for Feyenoord, which is understandably why he plays further forward for, for Peru. Um, yeah, he's not your conventional uh, defensive mid or centre-half. Uh, and he is quite important to to Gareca's side uh, in his role as like the buffer between the attack and the defence. Um, another thing about his, his concentration, he has been known to kind of his decision making isn't exactly tip top. But again, he's twenty two, so you know th- there's still time to learn. Uh, maybe not <laughs> at the World Cup, but you know uh, dwelling on the ball and stuff like that. Um, but one of the things that I was quite surprised at was that Peru are unbeaten in 14 games um, going back to 2016 uh, and Ta- uh, Tapia's played in a, a lot of those games um, and I think that's a, that's to do with kind of his physicality, his versatility in particular um, and, and, and he's definitely, definitely trusted by uh, Ricardo Gareca to, to, um, to play a key role in that Peru side. Yeah, Joe, and and you have written in your notes too that the boost of Paulo Guerrero coming back is. I think Peru they have so much momentum, especially after that ruling, and like you like you're saying about Tapia, he can step out of defense. He kind of can break up play a little bit higher up the pitch. Will be which will be really instrumental for Peru because they play really great, fast counterattacking football. And I don't know. I think they're almost the second favorite in this group. Really, that's an interesting take, Jack. Because I was I was going for, more towards Denmark, but I think this may be I think it's one of the, the groups that is really hard to call. Yeah, I mean Denmark did did do really well to qualify, but Peru, like Joe said, unbeaten since twenty sixteen, and they've they've been on fire lately. I saw them play Iceland in a friendly at uh, at Red Bull Arena in New Jersey. That Red Bull Arena, um, but yeah, they they looked really good um, about a month and a half ago. 
Yeah, before before I actually took a deeper look at, at Peru, I did kind of write them off and think, oh, it's just Peru. But now I kind of share that sentiment with Jack that, you know, they, they probably are the second best team in that group, especially when you factor in the, the Paulo Guerrero, um, Guerrero momentum that they're going to have going into the tournament. I think Denmark well, like, definitely have a match on their hands now. And it's their first World Cup in 36 years. Like, they're going to be up for it and the fans are going to be loud. They're going to be there. Like, we saw the video a couple weeks ago when they were playing in Switzerland. It was all Peruvians there. Yeah, it, it makes for a really exciting prospect. I'm really looking forward to watching them play because as I watched the, 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 uh, the game against Scotland where they won 2-0 and they were by far the better side. Um, yeah, I th- I th- I'm, I'm looking forward to, to, to seeing how Peru fare in that group. And if they get through, they'll definitely be supporting them in numbers, especially in the second round. Do we not think that this could be the group that potentially the giant killing has done in? You know, um, France are coming in with all this kind of momentum and all this hype. Uh, I have my doubts. They, they, they got held by the USA yesterday to a draw as well, you know, and it was a lot of these starters. Yeah, I mean, France seems to be... I mean, I know that this is an under twenty three podcast, and you know we're all big fans of young players, but I really do think France just lack experience. To be completely honest, um, there seems to be a, 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 as much pressure on France put on them by their press, if not more. Especially, I mean, Raheem down on the side um, by the press than the English press putting on their young squad. Um, they don't seem to have. Again, a lot of experience. They don't seem to have many players that have really achieved much outside of the PSG lads. I mean, Pogba and Kante. Uh, Griezmann has only just won his first silverware at, at Atletico. Um, and Titi maybe can come under that and Varane. Um, however, there just doesn't seem to be much... Um, out and out experience you're probably looking at Loris and I mean he's 32 and playing for Spurs so um, <laughs> you know <laughs> there's that um, so I'm I'm thinking potentially this could be the giant killing group um, and maybe Denmark and, and Peru could put on an upset I mean, yeah, you're right to point out that France are uh, quite an inexperienced team. There are actually eight under-23s in their team. So um, I'll give a quick run through those players. Um, Kylian Mbappe, uh, little-known striker at PSG, um, is in the squad. Uh, then there's Usman Dembélé, uh, who plays for Barcelona. Um, I've never heard of him. Then there's Thomas Lamar, uh, who is at Monaco. Um, Benjamin Pavard uh, at Stuttgart. Um, Lucas Hernandez at Atletico Madrid, um, Presnel Kimpembe um, at PSG, um, Benjamin Mendy at Manchester City and Corentin Tolisso at Bayern. And I think when I was just looking through that list, what struck me is that a lot of those players are actually defensive-minded players. So um, you've got Pavard, Hernandez, Kimpembe and Mendy um, who are all sort of centre-backs or full-backs. Um, and obviously in those positions, I think like you do need sort of maybe a little bit more experience Obviously, a few of them are going to be squad players and we're not going to see a lot of them. But I think that's an interesting point that you make there, David. Um, Obviously, another thing about them is that there is a huge sort of question mark over whether Deschamps is a good manager or not. Um, I don't know what side you guys come down on. I mean, I personally think the jury's out with me because 
it's going to be interesting to see how he copes with such a young squad because I did a little bit of research into it and previously he has he's had a much older squad um, going to major tournaments. Um, so the 2014 World Cup and the Euros in, in France and especially the, the players that he used in, in qualifying for those games, he always seemed to rely on, on his trusted lieutenants um, rather than opt for you know, the likes of, especially in, in qualifying for this World Cup, the likes of Mbappe when he was quite literally tearing it up for Monaco and PSG. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how he fares with that. But, I mean, put it this way, with the, the uh, recent vacancy at Real Madrid, I think there are better managers out there for the French job than Deschamps. I think I'd have to 100% agree with you there, Joe. Um, Jack, what's your perspective on them? Who, who are you looking out for? Kylian Mbappe obviously should be the one to watch at this group and maybe at the World Cup if you're looking for a young player in general. But I don't know how he wouldn't have been on your radar already. Um, it's it's interesting to see if they will gel. I think Usman Dembele really can provide a direct threat, but maybe that's not how France will play. So it's it's interesting to see. But he's he had a really good end of the season after that injury and Benjamin Pavard at Stuttgart is really developing into a great central defender but like you guys were saying i don't know if if they'll be able to live up to the pressure especially placed on themselves yeah i mean Deschamps seems pretty insistent on this 4-3-1-2 that he's trying um i think that's just to try and shoehorn griezmann and pogba into the same side um however you know when you've got you know the pace and and the ability of mbappe as Dembele, i think it's you know, pretty illogical to do that. Maybe he's looking at this man Zambelli off the bench and whatnot. Um, but they they're rarely stacked in central areas. Um, they have used a four three three in one of the friendlies. Um, however, again, he seems pretty insistent on this. If if he is insistent on it, though, I, I think Pavard could be a really good option at right back. Um, he offers a lot of balance to the team. He's really good on the ball uh, and he's really good defensively. Um, whereas you've probably got Mendy on the other side who's marauding. And he's a really good attacking fullback. Um, but you've got Matuidi on that side, whereas you've got Pogba on the right normally. Um, so you kind of need Pavard to mitigate that. Uh, whereas Sidibe is a lot more attacking. So hopefully Pavard can get a lot more game time. And you've got to consider how fresh is Mendy going to be after his injury layoff from from this season. I mean, obviously he has he's been getting back up to speed recently, but after an entire season out, how fresh are you going to be going into a World Cup? So I think yeah, we could be looking at seeing Pavar uh, a little bit. There really are just a lot of questions still surrounding this France side going into the tournament. I mean, I've I thought they're the best team there, but I don't know about that now. Have you been? Have you been one I think after? <laughs> I think they have a lot of issues that that the um, the good old notorious golden generation of England had to be honest, where they've got a lot of phenomenal players, but the, the profiles don't quite match together, and they're trying to shoehorn them all into one side. Um, whereas if they just maybe built around one, um, you'd be looking at Pogba potentially because he, he seems to be um, without. Kind of sound sounding harsh, a bit of a system play. You know, you need to build it around him for him to flourish. Um, whereas I think the likes of Griezmann and Mbappe have that individual quality and in decision making to be able to do things by themselves. 
but with this four three one two, just reeks of trying to get get everybody in the one side um, and trying to just overcome the opposition. And obviously, you know, you're looking at the game against the US that they've just recently drawn one one, and Mbappe scored in that. But they did shoehorn Griezmann into the side, Pogba into the side, and Mbappe into the side, and they didn't really dominate against well they did dominate but they didn't really overcome a very poor US side sorry Jack <laughs> in that <laughs> game so they, they could have similar issues to what that quote unquote golden generation did have and obviously they've got similar pressure put on them by the press there's constantly things happening off the pitch with, with France I mean you look at the Matthew Valbuena Karen Bender situation of a long time ago but then you've also got the override and um, questions about Deschamps and any potential um, prejudices that he may hold um, which I believe is probably not the case um, but you know, there's a lot of politics that get played in French football, which is constantly underplayed given the context of um, the the scrutiny that the English teams put on uh, put under from you know this side of the channel. But when you look at it overall, you know th- th- there's other teams under just as much pressure. It's just not as notorious. Um, but I think that potentially this young team could buckle under. I hope not. Um, but th- there's the potential for that there. Shall we move on to Group D, which will be our final group to preview in the first part of this? Um, I think, I mean, obviously, David, you mentioned that Group C was your tip for the the giant killing group. Um, I think for me, I would have to say Group D might be it because I really don't rate this Argentina side. Obviously, they sort of qualify for, by the group uh, by the by the skin of their teeth. I was trying to think what the metaphor that uh, the the idiom there was, um, and. They do look, I mean, we said, I said at the start, Egypt is sort of Mo Salah plus 22. And I mean, Argentina aren't quite Leo Messi plus 22, but they're probably Leo Messi and a few others plus about 19. Um, they do also only have two scouted players um, in their group. Um, so uh, Giovanni Lacelso at PSG um, and Christian Pavon, uh, the winger at Boca Juniors. Um, what are our thoughts on Argentina um, uh, ahead of this World Cup? I think I share that idea that this that Group D could be the giant killing group. Um, I, I mean, as soon as the draw came out, and obviously with Argentina's struggles to actually qualify for the tournament, I did kind of earmark Argentina as potential like casualty um, in, in the group stages. I think you've got you've got to look at Croatia. You know, they, they do they do do quite well at tournaments. I'm not so sure about um, how they'll fare with with the manager because I don't know about his credentials. Um, Iceland. I mean, can you write them off after Euro 2016? I don't know if you can. Uh, and then Nigeria, who beat Argentina in a friendly um, quite recently as well. Uh, you know, they're all, they're all teams that on their day could actually take that Argentina defence. But then at the same time, you have to think, well, they do have Messi. And if Messi, you know, if Messi says, Messi does. So it, it'll be an interesting one. It definitely will. But yeah, in, in terms of their under twenty threes, um uh, Lo Celso and, and Pavon don't know how much game time they'll they'll get in in all honesty. Yeah, it seems like Sampoli really has favored the experience over the youth as Argentina kind of stumbled into the World Cup. So like you like you said, they could go through or they could I don't know, maybe get, get knocked out by one of these teams. 
Yeah, ju- just on the point, the, the overarching point about Group D in general, I mean, the, the, the reason I don't think Argentina are really going to be the, the giant that is killed um, in this World Cup is predominantly down to how poor Croatia are, especially. Um, I mean, I saw them in person when they were at Anfield a, a week ago, um, and they were really, really poor. I mean, you look at the strength that they've got in their field with like Modric, Kovacic, uh, Rakitic and they just they're just bypassing them. That there's just nothing really to them. There's no identity. Um, I, I I just think that obviously with Argentina being Messi plus twenty two, I think that'll be enough to get them out of the group again. To be honest, um, as it did last time, and you know last time they went on to the final. But um, th- I, th- I think it's an open group, but I think it's predominantly open for that second spot. Um, I'm not the biggest Nigeria fan, and that's not just because of the kit. Um, I think Iceland, the qualified top of Croatia's group going into the tournament, I think Iceland could really, really put up um, a big surprise in this group, to be honest. Shall we have a little chat about Iceland's uh, under-23s before we go on then? Um, there's Albert Goodmanson, who's a winger at PSV, uh, Samuel Fridjonsson, uh, who plays for Valerenga Oslo um, as a defensive mid, uh, Runar Runason, uh, who uh, plays for Nordjylland in Denmark um, as a goalkeeper, and then also goalkeeper is Frederick Schramm at Roskilde. Um, has anyone heard of any of these players? Um, I've, I've I've heard very vaguely about Goodmanson. Um, apart from that, not much. Um, and Jack, you were asking about Runa Runison before the before the game, before the game, before the pod. Yeah, I'm not sure if if his father is also named Runa Runarson. I mean, maybe if, if that guy's father would be. I'm not sh- totally sure about Icelandic naming conventions, but it sounds like that might be the case, which would be really cool. But yeah, in terms of Iceland in general, I think I'm really looking forward to seeing how they do on the, at the World Cup. I think despite Euro 2016, there's still a bit of an unknown quantity on a tournament stage. So it really could go either way. And I, I really sort of hope it does go sort of in a positive way for them. Um, in terms of Croatia, um, there are just the, the, the four um, scouted players. So we've got Duja Kaleta Kar, um, who's a centre-back at Salzburg. And I've probably absolutely butchered that name. Um, then there's Tin Yedvai, um, who is sort of pretty well known at Leverkusen. Then Marco Piazza, uh, who's been on loan at Schalke this season. Um, and finally, the goalkeeper, Dominic Levakovic, uh, who is uh, a goalkeeper for Dinamo Zagreb. Um, we sort of, we've sort of discussed the main points of this group, I think. Um, but are there any players in that Croatia team that stand out to you? I mean, Yed- Yedvai is someone who I've had my eye on kind of for a while, but he didn't really i mean he hasn't really established himself as this big star at leverkusen but at 22 that that time still i thought he's like 24 or 25 it's surprising that he's still 22 yeah exactly he's just been around it's another one of those guys like he's he's been around for forever but he's still so young it's crazy could potentially have the best head of hair in the world potentially (laughs) it's up there i don't know roman torres Oh, Roman Torres, yeah. We're not at Group D yet, guys. <laughs> That's U23 head of hair. Oh, yeah. yeah, stay tuned for next episode. There we go. Okay. <laughs> um, and then for Nigeria, there are seven under-23s. So we've got Francis Izoho, who's a goalkeeper for Deportivo La Coruña. He's the, for their B side. He, I don't think he's played really? for Deportivo Senior side. 
but he's but he's Nigeria's starting goalkeeper, and he, yeah, he's nineteen. It's awesome. Yeah, very good against England. That way, I think it's I think it's predominantly because Vincent Anyama has only played two games for Lille's under twenty threes um, this season. Um, so he's just badly out of form, or what? Yeah, I'm I'm not too sure what the situation was with that. I mean, I watched some early Lille when Bielsa was there pre implosion, um, and Mike Mannion. Um, was in goal for them. I've completely butchered that saying, um, but he, he looked good. Um, I'm not too sure what the situation was with any aim then, but he really hasn't got back into the good books there. Um, it's and- crazy because he has 101 caps. You know, you would think maybe that would be good for something from the manager. Maybe not. Presumably, it's that- presumably it's just just the lack of games that's left. Zoho in goal, but he really didn't look very good against England. Um, I have my question marks about Nigeria's defence, to be honest. Um, and you know, having a goalkeeper like that in behind isn't too good for them. I mean, at least if they lose, they'll look good. Um, I'm, I'm, <laughs> no comment. Um, then they've also got Chidozi Awazian, uh, the centre back at Nantes, uh, Kalechi Iannaccio, um who's the Leicester striker, obviously, uh, Wilfred and Diddy, who also plays as a midfielder for Leicester, um, Alex Awobi, um, who uh, we all know pretty well at Arsenal, um, Tyron Ebuehi, um, who is a right back for ADO Den Haag, um, and Olkene Caro Atibo, who's a midfielder, uh-huh. attacking midfielder for Las Palmas. Um, I think there are some sort of reasonably big names in that sort of um, that team, but they are sort of more in the attacking positions. So with Awobi and Didi and Iheanacho, um, do we think that those guys will have a really good tournament? I don't know. I think Iheanacho might because I, I think a common theme for this World Cup could be poor goalkeeping. And, you know, if if some of those guys can... Get their get their shots off, and like we said, we've we've questions about a lot of teams' defenses. So it could, I think, I don't know if I'm just kind of rambling here, but I think it, it could be could be a lot of goals scored at this World Cup. Yeah, I mean, talking about Nigeria's offense, I mean, we've, we well, I, I've personally spoke about how weak I believe that their defense is. Um, in their last four friendlies, they played Serbia, uh, the Democratic Republic of Congo, England. And the Czech Republic, and I believe they only scored two goals in those four games. So um, they're not that prolific going into it. The Czech Republic one um, surprised me a little bit because I know that Czech football kind of has fallen off a cliff, but the fact that they failed to get any sort of result or do any sort of like good performance against them kind of made me think, well, and question how how far Nigeria could go or whether they'll just be the whipping boys of, uh, of Group D. Because, I mean, if, if they're not at the pace now, then, you know, the odds are kind of stacked against you then. And as you, as you said, David, the, the defence, they're not they're not really in any great shakes. And especially when you consider the goalkeeping situation. As good as it is to see a 19-year-old leading out his country as, um, as the starting goalkeeper, that does draw up a few questions. And you've got to think what is going to be going on in the heads of the defenders um, you know, with the goalkeeper that's behind them the, the man with 101 caps or the 19 year old who hasn't made a first team appearance for Depot Yeah I mean that, that that's what makes this group so interesting I mean as I said I, I think Argentina will win it quite comfortably just because they're Argentina and I, I, I think that they, 
the individual quality will just take them over the line. Um, but it's really interesting with the three other teams. I mean, uh, the, the context of Iceland is because they're so small. I mean, getting to the World Cup is very impressive, but on the back of their performances in Euro 2016 and off the performances in qualifying, obviously, as I said, top and Croatia's group, um, there could be a, a real surprise in there. I think it's going to be really tight. Um, but I do think of the 14, to be completely honest, Nigeria are probably the worst. Yeah, with Iceland again, though, uh, I think Turkey and Ukraine were in that group as well. So that's that was not an easy group to get out of, never mind top. So, I mean, yeah, you can't write them off. They've obviously got quite a tight-knit squad. They've, they're very well-drilled. They're a unit. I think their manager has been at the... At at the helm since 2013 so they've definitely got um, an identity of how they want to play and yeah it's kind of the golden years for Icelandic football so to speak yeah I mean there's quite a storied history of Iceland with Croatia as well um, I believe Croatia were the team to knock them out um, of a playoff to go to the last World Cup um, and then obviously they got drawn in the qualifying for this World Cup um, and now they're together in the group as well. Um, they just kind of get <laughs> off of each other, it seems. Um, but, you know, they, they really proven themselves under this. I, I, I mean, they, they were joint managers. Um, I believe the other manager retired, so he's by himself now, yeah. the current manager. Um, but, I mean, under this management team, uh, they've been ridiculously impressive and I don't see why they can't take that even further into the World Cup. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that just about rounds it up for Group D and also our first part. No, hold on. Hold on. I've got something very important to say. I just went to the Wikipedia page of Runar, Alex Runarsson and his father, his <laughs> name is Runar Christensen and he is the only Icelandic player to have over 100 caps. So... His dad was a used to be a midfielder for Iceland. If we're talking about trivia about the Icelandic team, the goalkeeper um, who um, obviously was at uh, at, the, at the European Championship directed the Eurovision entry in 2012 for for Iceland. So um, nice sort of extra sort of I don't know extracurricular activities for the team. Obviously, with the manager being a dentist as well. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, or having been a dentist before this current job. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting mix of, of stuff, and I think maybe that's sort of grounding in, yeah, sort of the, the country itself will be interesting. Yeah, hopefully if hopefully if this podcast has given you something, it's um, some office trivia that you can win a couple Quizzes of, of yeah. denotions <laughs> of currency. And also how not to say all of the under-20 <laughs> players' names <laughs> between groups A and D. Which no doubt, <laughs> every single one of us has butchered at some point. So. Fact. Yeah. I butcher every name. It's just the nature yeah. of me. So I mean, yeah. wait till we get to England because I'm going to absolutely ruin that. But um, that's it for part one. Um, we'll be releasing part two in the next few days. So just check back for that. But thanks for listening. And uh, yes, yeah, see, see you soon.